End of story. Yeah, I kind of like that story. That's, good. That's pretty good, isn't it? Well, we're going to get, get uh, I want to do kind of a re-closure on chapter 2, get us into chapter 3 today. I always want to point out there are cards uh, around you. If you have any questions as we go through this or a thought that comes to your mind and you want to share, just write those down. Those will get back to me and we'll, we'll take them on. Um, let's start with prayer. Lord, as we, as we dig in today, I'm just going to ask that you be present amongst us in this word and Lord, uh, remind us of who we are as a people who belong to you, not, not by our work, but by your grace. I think we live in a world that continues to just subtly urge us to think about our salvation as being something we do. And it's not, it's, it's a gift from you. Lord, help us to have that right balance tension in our life between not living under the law, but letting it have a place in our life as, as well. We uh, give you this time. Be with us in this study, we pray. In Jesus' name, let's say it together. Amen. I'm going to start us off this way today. You're in an airplane. You're sitting down. You look around you, and there are Asians, Asian folks from Asia everywhere. They're doing this. Do you look at them a little bit differently? Do you say to yourself, I don't want to be around those. How many of you would say, yeah, I kind of, I might feel that way. Okay. Now I'm using that physical picture to establish something that I want to come back around spiritually. Are there times when I look at someone from a spiritual perspective as being lesser than me? Now, I I know our quick answer to that question is no, I would never, ever do that. I would never do that. I did that. Um, I'll tell you this little story. It's true. Um, Serving in Lincoln and uh, all of a sudden look out in the congregation and uh, a fellow from Sudan and his family had come to church. And I thought, man, what is wrong with that guy's forehead? So in Sudan, uh, part of the rituals they use as you're becoming a man is they they literally take like a a razor blade and they cut into your forehead and then it heals over and there's like three three stripes. And um, so the the Sudanese men from South Sudan can identify one another as, hey, we're we're part of this this tribal tradition. And uh, so I looked at them and I'm like, where are these people from? Well, I really didn't get to spend much time talking to the the gentleman and his family. But I noticed the next week they were back and there was another family. And then another family, then another family. And so finally, I'm like, I'm going to I'm just going to have to go meet with these folks because I want to get to know them. Who, Who are you? Where are you from? When when I did that, I can I still remember to this day. Going to meet with the men. The men wanted to meet with me because that's that's part of their culture. Men meet with men. Women meet with women. And I remember sitting down at the table and distinctly thinking, I'm going to have to talk, you know, pretty slowly. And I'm going to have to kind of be real basic in my theology. Because we were going to have some theological discussion. About halfway through my discussion, I recognized something that uh, actually surprised me the depth of their faith. What I didn't know in the, at that moment, and I've, le- I've learned it since, is I was talking to a group of men who grew up in a part of the world where 
<clears throat> they watched their dads, their brothers, their relatives uh, killed by the northern Sudanese, by Islamists. And uh, over the course of time, they've developed a really deep sense of what does it mean to trust God in a period of time in your life when you're, you're always at physical risk. And uh, so I, I really pulled back away from that, and I'd caught myself uh, actually thinking, hey, Luke, why is it that you looked at these people and assumed that their, their depth of theology would be so low? Why did you do that? And uh, I remember coming to just trying to come to grips with what, what does it mean to have and to hold these biases that sometimes we grow up with, and uh, they're part of our life. And what does it mean to acknowledge those, identify them, and then to recognize, no, th- th- these are not, th- these biases are not truth, right? Uh, take each person, uh, Paul would say, meet them as a soul first, soul first. Uh, doesn't matter to me what your opinions, beliefs, etc. are other than one. Do you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? That's the, that's the primary thing I'm going to ask. So I'm setting it up this way because I want you to kind of feel what does it mean to be a Jew? What does it mean to be a Jew living in the time of, of Paul? And I'm looking at people who I've grown up looking at, believing that these people are lesser than me, right? I see them and I think, oh, they, they are unclean. I don't, do I want to touch them? Do I want to be around them? No, not really. Do I want to allow them into our temple? No, we have we have created spaces where they can come, they can come, uh, they can overhear our law, and perhaps as people who desire to uh, follow the law, they, they can become proselytized to, to our faith, but we're the covenant people. We hold on to the covenant, we're the keepers of the law, we're the chosen race of God, and these folks over here are other. Well, what's Paul's ministry? Paul's ministry in Rome is to come and to, to first try to seek out the church of, 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 the, of, the, of the Jews, the synagogues, try to bring them to know Jesus Christ. But he's, he's also the apostle to the Gentiles. And so as he's speaking to the Romans, he's got to address this issue of you think that because you hold the law and because you're Jewish and because you're the people of the covenant, that you're better than this other group of people. And I'm here to tell you, no, actually all of us are under, under the curse of the law and in need of the redemption of, of, that comes only and exclusively through Jesus Christ. So we've kind of gone through a lot of that together. I'm just going to kind of pick it up again so that we, we recognize it. Uh, for me, one of the critical verses here uh, is verse 21, where Paul is saying, you, you all, you Jewish people who teach, who teach other people, you know, we have the law, we're the teachers of the law, don't you teach yourselves? Aren't you listening to your own words? Um, well, that stings a little bit. By the way, come back to this why. Why is this so important for Paul? Because he's talking to the he's talking to Jewish people, right? This, the folks in the synagogues, but he's also talking to the church in Rome. And what, what I don't want you to ever lose sight of as you're reading the book of Romans is the church in Rome is predominantly made up of what? Converted Jews. 
So once they've converted, does that mean that everything inside of them is just gone? And now they, now they see life in, in a completely different way. No, it does not. They're still retain. Our old Adam does right. Retains some of that otherness We're we're, yeah, we are Christians now, but we're Jewish Christians. <laughs> and so for Paul, it's important to address this because if the church is going to have any impact in the, in its community, you're going to have to recognize that, that there is no otherness, that we're all in the same boat together. That, that's the why behind it. And so his words are hard. His words are hard. You people who feel like you have the law and teach other people, aren't you listening to it yourself? That's verse 21. And then it continues, verses 25 to 26. Uh, hard words for someone who's come out of Judaism to hear. Uh, if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, Will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Uh, wow. Okay, so if circumcision is a deed of value, if you obey the law but you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. If a man who is circumcised keeps the precepts, will his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? What's he saying there? He's saying, all right, if you place yourself under the law, here's the reality. If you break it, which you have broken it, your circumcision, the thing that you're holding on to, look, we're the, we're the covenant people, we're the circumcised people, becomes uncircumcision. But if you place yourself into the law, if somebody were to keep the law, they, they're actually, they, and they're not part of the, the Jewish, they're, they're not Jewish. But if they kept the law, their uncircumcision would become circumcision. Now, I don't know that these words really make so much sense to us today, but just kind of go back to the basis of it, that the idea is circumcision is, is meant to be an, an outward symbol of an inward truth, right? The recognition that we as Jews, our, we, we are God's people through his promise to us as a nation. And so we are the ones who keep the law. And, and what Paul's doing right here is he's kind of reversing that. He's saying, oh, well, let me tell you what. If somebody who wasn't a Jew kept the law, wouldn't they have the same benefit as circumcision? It's kind of, that kind of hits the Jew hard. Oh, no, they're, they're, they're other than. They're, they're Gentiles. They can't be us. And Paul needs the church to see, no, wait a minute. They, they are us. Okay. So the plot thickens a little bit as we get to verses 28 and 29, and you really have to wrestle with this question. So then what actually is circumcision? This is thick stuff, so kind of, kind of hang in here with me. 28, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. Wow, that's powerful. Nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Those are, those are some, you talk about words that are going to cause the Jews to say, we need to kill this guy. Those words will do it. Because here, here's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, you, you say that we're Jews because we have Jewish blood. 
You say you're Jews because your father's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. You say you're Jews because you have the sign outwardly of circumcision. But I'm going to tell you what a Jew is. A Jew is not someone who has an outward sign. But a Jew is someone who has been inwardly circumcised, given the sign of the covenant, made one who is right with God, by the work of the Holy Spirit. In that regard, I could look at you today, and I could say to every one of you in this room, you're Jews. Not, not, I don't think any of you have Jewish blood, do you? Um, I could. I could look at any one of you and I could say you're Jews. And, and so the impact of these words on the hearer is, you, Paul, are saying that anyone can be a Jew. If their hearts have been circumcised, what does that mean? Well, that's what Paul is getting to. The essence of circumcision, what is circumcision, is not, I've simply received this outward sign, but it is, I have been what brought to faith. And that is the work of who? The Holy Spirit. Cross-reference this with me. Um, This idea is not new. It shouldn't be new to the Jewish people who are hearing this word. Uh, It actually comes out of the Old Testament in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 30, uh, verses 1 through 6, and especially 6. I'll have you just flip over there for a minute. Um, Really words that just um, come up underneath and affirm what Paul is saying here in Romans. Um, When you're in Deuteronomy, chapter 30, you're really at the end of Moses' life. Moses has led the people out of Egypt. Uh, He himself will never cross into the promised land. And so a lot of people call Deuteronomy chapter 30 Moses' farewell address. It's his address to the people of Israel before he actually dies. And he's getting them ready to go into the new land. And so as, as it begins, uh, we're just going to go one to six. It says, and when, when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I've set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I command you today with all your heart and all your soul. Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you, and he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. I'm taking you into this new land, and you are a scattered people, but God will draw you back together, and as you come back to God, uh, God is calling you to, to live amongst the nations as a called out body of people. Now go to verse 4. If your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there the Lord God will gather you, and from there he will take you. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you will possess it. And make, he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. He's bringing you home. Now look at verse 6, key verse. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul that you may live. That's so significant. What, what's happening in Romans shouldn't be new to the Jews. It, it is. It's hitting their ears new, but it shouldn't be. 
because Moses, who is the giver of the law, right? That's why this is so significant, is saying to the Jews who are coming into the, 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 the land of Canaan, re- returning home, if you will, uh, God is saying to them, uh, here, here's how you will be able to live these words out. I, I gave you these words. You will love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. How will you do that? Not, not by your will, not by your ability, but by what? The work of God inside of your heart. God changes your heart. And thus you begin to love him with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the meaning of circumcision. So what Paul is doing here is he, this is a significant theme. He's setting a theme down that we're going to play with throughout the entire uh, book of, of Romans. And I think it's significant today because you're asking questions like, well, what does it mean to be circumcised? What does it mean to be Israel? What does it mean to be a Jew? Here's where it'll become significant in the world of theology today. Um, in our world of theology today, these questions attach to what we call eschatology or end time teaching. And what you're going to hear raised up over the, over the course of time are questions about what happens to the Jews when Jesus Christ returns. What happens to the Jews when Jesus Christ returns? So you have different ideas about how to answer that question. You have the millennialists, both pre- and post-millennialists, dispensationalists who kind of tie into, into that. Uh, you, you have uh, what, what, we, what we as Lutherans are, all millennialists. Most of the theological world today on the Reformed side says, well, you know, when, when Jesus Christ returns, or when, I should say it differently, when the, when the tribulations begin, all of the Jews will be in the new earth. All of them. Because they're his chosen race. What I'm going to contend is that, that Romans teaches otherwise. That it's, always, it's never been about, being a Jew has never been about something outward. I could have Jewish blood... I could say my father is, is Isaac and Jacob and not be a Jew. What do you mean? My heart's not circumcised. A Jew, as much as anyone else, has the same ability you and I do to push God away. I don't need that God. And so uh, what is Israel? My contention is Israel is equals that body of people who not physically, but spiritually, have been brought into faith through the work of the Holy Spirit. And their circumcision is what? The sign of the, sign of the cross. I trust in this Jesus Christ who has made me his very own. So you're starting to see here already in chapter 2 kind of this theme set down that we, we cannot... We cannot go out and make disciples of all nations if we pull ourselves back and act as though uh, what it means to be the church is to be outside of the world. Never, it won't work. You have to be able to say, no, our, our calling is, is we're, we're called out of the world, yes. Hearts circumcised by faith, a spirit begins to work in us begins to change us and will continue to throughout our lives. But our calling is to go back in the world, just as Israel's calling was. 
with the gospel now of Jesus Christ. And so we, we might not feel this today as significantly as the first hearers heard it. But what I'm telling you is as chapter two ends, you're going to have you're going to have one of two things happening. If I'm listening to you and you're Paul and you're speaking these words to me, I'm either going to say to you, wow, that turns my world upside down. Why is it that I've always felt like these people out here are other than me? Why have I always put myself up here? You're going to feel like I did when I looked at the Sudanese person. It'll convict you. It'll make you say, you know what? I need, I should not do that. I should be a person who's bringing the gospel to anyone. Everyone's a soul. Or other, other reaction is what? You're wrong, Paul. I don't accept what you're saying to me. In fact, I'm going to, I'm going to attack you. And in fact, what happens to Paul? He's attacked. By who? The Jews who are listening to him say to be a Jew is not something physical. It's not a matter of our blood. It's a matter of the work that God does in our hearts through circumcising. It's about faith. It's always been about faith. Now, how do I know that he gets attacked? Well, because as you end chapter two, you almost have to do this. (sighs) Take a big breath and cross your arms And now look angry because chapter three starts with the recognition that there's a group of people who already have been following Paul, listening to him teach and who listen to him now. And they're in Rome and what their job is going to be is, well, we're going to attack what Paul has to say. And uh, and Paul is going to have to respond to to their attack. What is their attack? Well, as we open chapter three, I want to kind of lay a little bit of that out for you, but I'm going to come to this word just so you see it right away. Antinomianism. Antinomianism is a, is a theological term. Here's what it means. Anti is what, guys? Against. Namas is the law. Okay. So an antinomian would be considered someone who is against the law. So here's the argument. As the Jews listen to Paul... Their argument is going to be, as we listen to you, you're against our law. You're saying that the law is not important. And what defines us as Jews? The law and our ability to keep it. So you, sir, are coming against our law, the law that Moses gave to us. And we're not going to stand for it. Now, question for you, is Paul coming against the law? Not at all. His intention is not to say dump the law and take hold of the gospel. His intention is to do what? His intention is to say, no, the the law will always remain. You can't erase it. You can never take away God's demand on us that we be as perfect as God in heaven is perfect. You can never take that away. When I die, the, the, the standard by which I am judged by the judge is very simply, Luke, were you as perfect as God in heaven is perfect? That's the standard. This never goes away. Paul acknowledges that. We're not erasing the law. Who is Jesus Christ? The one who fulfilled that law, who is as perfect as God in heaven is perfect because he is God, 
right? He has done that on my behalf. Now, does that erase the law in my life? No, it fulfills it. It doesn't erase it. Does the law continue to play a role in my life? Absolutely. We've talked a little bit about its, its role in showing me who I really am, showing me my, my absolute daily need for a Savior, and showing me the direction that I, I ought to live. But there can, the contention is, you, you, sir, are an antinomian. You've come, against our, you've come against our law, and we're not going to put up with it. So as you get into chapter 3, that's really what's happening, is they've listened to Paul say, look, anyone is a Jew whose heart has been circumcised by Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah? Well, we'll show you. And Paul now has to address the argument that he's aware of, that he's erased the law. It gets a little bit tricky here, but kind of follow me into chapter 3. You, you can see it right away. This is a question that's being asked. Then what advantage has the Jew? Can you kind of see that? So, if anyone can be a Jew, what advantage is there to being a Jew? You see that? It's, it's a, uh, I mean, it's the question on the table. You're, you're trying to erase centuries of our identity. And how dare you? Isn't there an advantage to being a Jew? Are you saying there's no advantage to being a Jew? That's, that's really what the question is. Or, uh, what is the value of circumcision? We've always said, no, circumcision has value. In fact, you can't, you can't come into our temple if you're not circumcised, right? You, you have to be one of us. So are you saying that, 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 we're, that circumcision has no value? What are you saying here? Paul says, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not saying that being a Jew or that your circumcision has no value in fact, let me tell you what its value is. It's much. Look at verse 2. It's much. In every way, you have a lot of value being a Jew. So what is it? Well, let me answer your question. To begin with, the Jews, and I'm reading this from the ESV. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to show you what the actual text says, but here's the translation. Much in every way. In other words, you have an advantage. To begin with, here's your advantage. The Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. That's the NIV translation. Anybody have a different translation? Entrusted with the... Say, say again. Trusted with the words of God. Okay. The very words of God. Okay. Uh, which is a little bit closer. The actual um, word that's used here, pistuo is the verb. You were, you were faced with the logias words of God. I call them the words of life. They're the words that God gave Moses on the mountain, right? So it's not wrong to say you're entrusted with those words because what? You're supposed to take these words that give you life and bring them to the other nations. How ought we to live? How, how do we live in light of what God does inside of us? Let this law show you how to live. The actual term, though, I think is a little bit deeper. Faith. You, you are the first ones brought into faith through a word that gives you life. That's the essence of this verse. You're the very first ones. What, what, what benefit is there to be in a Jew? We're the first ones to be brought into faith through this word of God. That's your advantage. So you ought to want to give that same word away to other people. Why? Because it brings life, not the law. 
But the word through which the Spirit works to circumcise hearts, that's what you need to bring into the lives of other people. That's your advantage. So next question then. Well, what if some were unfaithful? Does their faithfulness, lessness, nullify the faithfulness of God? Well, no. If somebody's unfaithful to the word, are you saying then that, that God's word isn't true, that he's, he's not going to judge that person? No, by no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, Psalm 51.4, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. Those are words, by the way, that David would have spoken when he's caught, right, in adultery, and he stands before God, and what is he saying? Is the law part of my life? Yes, it is. Do you have the right as God to judge me? I've committed adultery. You do have the right. And this is really what the thrust of what the Jews are saying. Are you saying then that, that people, that, know, that everybody just what? Everybody just goes to heaven? Is that what you're saying? Law has no importance? Paul's like, no, I'm not telling you that. I'm telling you that here, here's your advantage. You're the first ones to receive these words that are meant to bring life. You're brought to faith in them. Doesn't mean that the law is gone. God has the right to do what he said he was going to do. He, he is a judge. But now let's remember the place of the law in my life. Go to verse 5. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath upon us? I'm speaking in a human way. That's parenthesized because what, what Paul's saying is, I, I'm going to speak to you in a way that's human. I know that you're attacking me. I know you're calling me a person who's trying to do away with the law. And so here's how I'm going to answer you. Verse 6, by no means. Again, by no means. For then how could God judge the world? He judges through the law. But if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, why Am I still being condemned as a sinner? It's a rhetorical question. He's saying, listen, if I, if, I were, if I were saying to you that just everybody sins and the law is gone and doesn't matter what you do, you're all going to go to heaven, um, then, then, I would, then I could stand in front of you and say, well, yeah, I shouldn't be condemned as a sinner if I, if I break the law because the law is gone. Well, that's not true. It's not gone. In fact, verse 8, why not do evil? Why shouldn't I just go around doing evil so that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying, and their condemnation is just. In other words, he would say, if you're condemning us for removing the law, you would be just. Stop for a minute. I'm going to try to put this into context. We read this today and we think, what? But what's happening here is pretty significant. Even in our American Western context, here's why. What's happened to the law in the church today? Where is it? What role does it play? So if I were to hire Barna or Gallup, and we went out and we took a, a survey, and we asked people this question, not that this has ever been done, are you a Christian? Would a lot of people say, yep, I'm a Christian, who are not Christians? Absolutely. 
If I were to say, if I were to take that same survey out and I'd say, do you believe that you're going to heaven? In America today, do you believe, do you think that that the percentage of people that believe they're, they're going to heaven is big, large, or little? What do you think, guys? It's huge. Those surveys exist, right? Those statistics exist. And what's happening is, in our American world, we've kind of taken the, the, the theology of the Bible and we've reduced it down to the idea that um, many people call therapeutic, you know, mor- moralism, where God is supposed to be good to me all the time, because after all, that's what God's supposed to do. And uh, I try to live a moral life. And at the end of the day, as long as I haven't been really... You know, as long as I'm not like Osama bin Laden or, or, or Hitler and I haven't killed people, then guess what? I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven. And we've taken the law and we are anti-nomistic in America today. A lot of the American church, to be quite honest with you, is anti-nomistic. We've kind of said, yeah, does the law matter? Well, yeah, but Jesus came and he fulfilled the law so it doesn't have a place in, my, in our lives. It does have a place in our lives. Does God still call me to be obedient? Yes. Now, my obedience doesn't grow out of my will. I'm going to choose to be obedient. It grows out of what? My relationship with Jesus Christ. Nonetheless, the law still continues to have a significant place in my life. You know who probably captured this better than anyone else? An old German Lutheran. True. Historically. His name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And uh, Bonhoeffer, in his writings, really talks about, again, this tension that's going on inside of all of us, that I'm going to live under the gospel of Jesus Christ. But how many of us do that in a way that allows us to take the cross and use it as an excuse to continue sinning? Seriously. Yeah, this isn't that big a deal. I'm I'm forgiven anyway. Yeah, I know I'm kind of stuck in this thing, but you know what? I'm forgiven anyway. Yeah, I know this is an exa- I know God's calling me to do this thing here, but you know what? I'm not going to do it. It doesn't matter anyway. I'm all, we're all forgiven. We're all in the grace. Wow. You know what we've done? We've taken the the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, his payment of blood for us and cheapened it. We have. And every time I do it, I do it as much as anyone else, right? Every time I say, well, yeah, but we're under grace. We forget that grace cost his life blood. And so what Paul is doing is not here saying we're going to erase the law. He's responding to the Jews who accuse him of that. He's saying, no, no, no. What we're doing is we're saying don't live under that law in a way that you believe you can perfectly fulfill it. You cannot. You are in need of Jesus Christ. But allow the law to have its place in your life. We are not anti-nomistic people. We're a people who, like you, who call yourself a Jew, we're Jews. These people are Jews. People whose hearts have been circumcised and been brought to faith. They are Jews. And the law is significant in all of our lives. Um. So let's stop there and we'll, we'll cut into this next section that I contend is one of the sections of scripture that completely flipped Luther's theology as a Catholic upside down.
Let's pray. Lord, as we uh, close out today, again, uh, we're entering into a, a, a world that sometimes we don't necessarily get, but these words are significant down to this day. That, Lord, you've called us to recognize human beings as souls. We cannot go out and make disciples of nations if we set ourselves up as judges over people. We're all in the same boat. We're in need of your gospel work to fulfill the law on our behalf. And yet at the same time it's fulfilled. Allow it to have a place in each one of us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Go out and have a career.